Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, and welcome to this edition of the Bluetech Tasting Menu. My name is Divya Inna. I'm a water technology market analyst at Bluetech. On this week's podcast, we bring to you updates from this month's intelligence briefing that's just gone to print. We'll then be speaking to Lauren Smith, my colleague, who will speak about a new emerging problem substance that is affecting water sources. And finally, we'll be speaking to Bill Toffey, our expert in biosolids management, who will share with us the latest on sludge treatment. But first, this month's intelligence briefing. In this month's issue, we try to untangle the web of open innovation and licensing. Quite often, as we know, bringing a water technology to market can be complex. Now, a perfect example of this is the stories of demon, demonification technology, and of granular sludge technologies such as S-Select and Indents, which are emerging competitors to Nerida. The demon technology, firstly, was developed by Innsbruck University in Austria and then improved upon by a complicated series of interrelated companies. We outline the history of players connected with both the demon technology and the S-Select inside the EMIB this month. Another market area we watch are crisis-driven areas, and in this month's intelligence briefing issue, we focus on treating hospital wastewater. Now, as we know, hospitals are, unsurprisingly, responsible for a significant portion of micropollutants from pharmaceuticals, and we go into more detail about this in the MIB. This is following on from a webinar we did on the topic last month. And as usual, we also have a taster from our latest report on the power sector in China. The report's called Water Technology Market Opportunities and Drivers. This report is an update on the growing push for ZLD treatment in China's coal-fired power stations for flue gas desulfurization wastewater treatment. And also continuing with our mission to keep you updated on technology movers, we have a report on the progress of Cambrian Innovations EcoVault technology. The current standard beard for electrochemical, bioelectrochemical wastewater treatment has been a hot topic some years ago that has seen virtually all companies entering the space fall by the wayside. So that was an update of our research for this month, for the month of March. Moving on. Crisis-driven markets are a key area of focus for Bluetech. They can arise as a consequence of new scientific research linking contaminants with health or environmental effects. Recently, there's been a flurry of activity in the water industry over a, a particular group of emerging contaminants known as perfluoroalkyl substances, or in other words, PFAS. They've been detected in samples of water across the globe. Now, PFAS is a chemical used in various industrial and commercial products and has been found at unsafe levels in 52 private wells in Vermont last year, leading officials to begin testing wells across the state. Their high toxicity and persistence in the environment has been seen has seen research institutions hard at work to determine the most effective method to remove these compounds from the environment. We at Bluetech have been tracking the latest developments in this area very closely now for about a year or so. And, and this week we catch up with Lauren Smith from Bluetech who'll tell us more. Hi Lauren, thank you for joining us. We've been looking at the at PFAS uh, very closely now for the last year. Um, can you tell us a, a little bit about PFAS? I mean, what is this substance? So as an introduction, um, PFAS, or perfluoro, uh, perfluoro, perfluoro alkyl substances, uh, what are they? 
they're highly fluorinated and man-made organic chemicals. They were initially developed by the 3M company in 1947 and have been used com commercially since the 1950s. They are globally prevalent. They've been found in humans, wildlife and the environment on every continent, even showing up in the blood of polar bears. Um, two PFAS in particular have been widely studied, um, one of which is PFOA or perfluorooctanoic acid and the other which of which is um, PFOS or perfluorosulfane octanoic acid. Um, a 2007 study showed that PFOA was found in the blood serum of 99.7% of the humans tested over the age of 12. Wow. With an average of 2 to 8 parts per billion uh, in their blood serum. Mm -hmm. Koreans seem to have a significantly higher level of PFOA, averaging around 60 parts per billion, with countries like Peru, Vietnam and Afghanistan on the other end of the spectrum, with average levels below 1 part per billion. Research has suggested a number of health links between PFOA and PFOS. These were first suggested in a study by DuPont in 1993, where lab animals exposed to PFOA showed increased risk to a number of cancers and other diseases. Um, PFAS tends to have a much shorter half-life in animals when compared to humans. In humans, it's around three, and a half, uh, three to five years. So it makes it quite difficult to translate the health effects on lab animals to humans. Um, this long half-life gives these compounds the ability to bioaccumulate in the body, and this causes health concerns. Right. So what is, how is PFAS used in the industry? What are its applications? Um, PFOA has been incorporated into many different brands and used for many applications over the years, as you can see. It's got some um, very good chemical properties, such as oil and water resistance, grease resistance, chemical resistance. It has been used in a number of different applications, such as firefighting foams, as well as um, in the photography industry, in paints and lacquers, and floor waxes. Um, it's also used in cardboard products, used in food packaging, such as in milk cartons and pizza boxes to prevent grease and moisture from migrating through the packaging. Right. Um, okay, so in terms of its presence in water sources, PFAS, I understand, are not easily removed using conventional water treatment techniques. What is the what is the most commonly used technology at present? Um, at the time, granular activated carbon seems to be the most commonly used technology at present, with Kelvin carbon leading the way in pilot studies and showing good success. Other competitors would include companies like Evoqua and Dow, who are following closely um, with few other technologies also on the possible horizon. And do we have an update for in terms of regulations? I mean, where is the what is the status of its regulations right now in the United States especially? We predicted last year that the mandatory regulations would be in place in the United States within the next five to seven years um, as health studies were completed and depending on the output of those health studies. The market for PFAS removal in water appears to be, be growing quickly. Um, we've seen the completion, or well, by that point, we've seen the completion of 21 pilot scale projects since 2006. Great, thanks, Lauren. For those who aren't aware, Bluetech has just completed a webinar on this topic last week, and this webinar has been recorded and is available for viewing. So, if you, so if, if this is a topic that's of interest to you, please get in touch with us. Um, through our website and we can send along the webinar as well as a copy of the presentation slides that go along with it. Right, next up, we have with us our biosolids management expert, William Toffey, who will be hosting a roundtable this year in June at the Bluetech Forum on the opportunities for sludge management, both in the municipal and industrial sector. 
Bill, thank you for joining us. Can you give us an overview of the topics that will be covered at the roundtable this year? Thank you, Divya. Uh, one of the amazing things that has occurred in our industry has been the, uh, the embrace of water resource reclamation facilities as the new paradigm for our treatment processes. Many people think of water reuse when they think of this, but we like to look at biosolids as the uh, as one of the main focuses where we have nutrients, organic matter, and energy that we can redeploy from our solids. Uh, anaerobic digestion has been around for generations, but it's really been kicked up a notch. Uh, the agency that runs the treatment facility in Washington, D.C. has been one of the shining examples. They installed new mesophilic anaerobic digesters and they installed thermal hydrolysis at the head of the digesters. Thermal hydrolysis is a technology that pasteurizes the biosolids and also yields a large amount of biogas, which then can be used as a fuel in electric generators, helping the plant become energy neutral or self-sufficient. Thermal hydrolysis also produces a great product that can be recycled to the land. So it really conforms to the idea of recycling the organic matter and nutrients, as well as extracting energy. This is a uh, technology that's offered by Canby. It's well uh, adopted in Europe, but this is the first reference facility in the United States, which has caused a lot of excitement in the wastewater industry. And Canby's not the only company offering thermal hydrolysis. That's right, Bill. Certainly a lot more installations in Europe, majority of which are Canby's installations. But while Canby remains the dominant player, you know, we've seen players enter the market since 2006. Veolia, for example, the second largest player after Canby. Um, and then two other players entered the market. Um, one is the Dutch company Sustec and the other one is Harslev Industries. Um, and then there was a latest entrant um, in the German market, a company called Eliquo Stoltz. And the interesting thing about this is that we've noticed that each of these technologies differ slightly and we're very closely tracking the number of installations and market share by installed capacity as well as sites. And what is more, uh, there's other approaches to advanced anaerobic digestion and companies such as GE, uh, Water, Suez, Centrisus now have new reference facilities for advanced digestion. Uh, another big uh, development is the global interest in phosphorus extraction from wastewater. This arises from a couple of concerns. First of all, phosphorus is a major pollutant in many urban estuaries and needs to be removed from wastewater. Secondly, there is concern that in the long future, phosphorus will become a seriously limited nutrient and that recovering it from wastewater is a major way of ensuring future supplies of this fertilizer. But phosphorus in a wastewater plant can be a major problem, uh, from uh, equipment malfunctions to too much phosphorus in the biosolids for a good fertilizer. So companies such as Astara have become leaders in technology to remove phosphorus from the wastewater. And this is still an evolving area, and there's several dozen companies around the world that are looking at phosphorus extraction in wastewater. And aside from the benefits to the equipment and the value of the phosphorus extracted as a fertilizer itself, is the potential for this equipment to aid in the processing of biosolids, improve the watering, 
and improved the quality of the biosolids from an odor standpoint. So this is an evolving area, and we're very interested in seeing how a company such as Astara, with its new facility in Chicago, uh, affects and improves the quality of the biosolids as a result of the fossil extraction. And we've seen that there are a number of different approaches to recovering phosphorus from biosolids spill, depending on the technology used to treat sludge. I mean, if we're talking about thermal thermochemical technologies, then all thermal conversion processes result in, a gra in granular ash. And this ash may have value as an amendment to building materials or soils and as a material from which phosphorus can be recovered. And even more advanced technologies such as you know, supercritical water oxidation that eliminates the need for sludge dewatering. And, and, you know, it produces an inert ash um, that can be disposed off to landfill um, and be used in the manufacturing of paving blocks and then can also potentially be used for phosphorus recovery. Now, incineration is not usually thought of as a recycling methodology, uh, but in the United States, we have new sewage sludge incineration rules and many of the agencies that have incinerators are upgrading their incinerators and in so doing are improving the energy profiles. They're recovering heat, they're uh, improving the level of the watering before the incinerator such that they can reduce the need for excess, uh, for additional fuel inputs to the incineration and they can recover ash and uh, phosphorus from the, uh, the um, the ash that comes from the incinerators. Uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin is, is the showcase for the new approach to sewage sludge incineration. They, in fact, have an elaborate uh, approach that involves anaerobic digestion before incineration, recovery of biogas, electricity generation, recovery of heat from uh, the process to dry the biosolids before incineration, and then recovery of phosphorus, and, re and deployment of the ash for beneficial use, demonstrating that incineration can in fact be a sustainable process that is that totally aligns with the concept of water resource reclamation facilities as the new paradigm for wastewater treatment in the United States. Incineration is a very interesting topic at the moment. The recent revisions being made to the national emission standards for incinerators in the U.S. will open uh, a market for upgrade and replacement of fluid sludge incinerators at existing treatment facilities. Um, and you're right, Bill, as we understand it, incineration can be turned to a viable option as waste heat is recovered from cogeneration units um, and is used to partially dry the biosolids cake feed. That is the uh, three topic areas that we will be looking at in the round table in June. See you there. Perfect. Thanks very much, Bill. Uh, we'll certainly look forward to uh, to attending the, the, the round table. Just a quick question on thermochemical technologies. We haven't seen a lot happening in that space, particularly with regard to supercritical water oxidation. That's still something that the industry is quite interested in and quite it can be very destructive as a technology if it if if it you know if it can be proven at a full scale um level but uh there's nothing there yet at the moment yes we are looking for uh success for a reference facility uh i know that uh there is a uh a facility in spain that's hosting a uh a facility for supercritical water oxidation. We're looking to see how that's going to work. 
there's a couple agencies, especially in California, that are really interested in this kind of technology for the potential benefit of, of uh, converting biosolids into fuel and into inert uh, ash. Exactly, yeah. Uh, we certainly look forward to updates on that too. Well, thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. Well, thank you. See you soon.